Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 136. It's a September 11th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, in today's episode, I want to focus on the obsession that we're seeing from the media and from Wall Street all about the Federal Reserve's policy and whether they're going to raise interest rates or whether they won't. I think it's all BS. I think it's all a smokescreen. So that's what we're going to discuss today. And even if you happen to be listening to this podcast years in the future, the content today is going to be relevant because it isn't so much about the timeliness about what we're discussing, which is critical, but the principles we're going to talk about are evergreen. I mean, they really go back to how the media and elements on Wall Street and in the financial community and, and basically in any institution, how they hype things up, how they do sleight of hand tricks, just like a magician to distract your attention away from the real issues. So let's just get down to business. If you've listened to the media any time in the last year, all you've heard about is, will they or won't they raise interest rates? Well, that's really about the least important thing that could happen to our stock market or our economy right now. And although you do hear me talk about that a great deal, I want to qualify what I talk about and, and distinguish it. And it's, you know, I don't always explain with exact precision what I mean, okay? I'm not a professional broadcaster. I don't have a PhD in economics. I get on this podcast and through my blog over to investablewealth.com and I try and give you an idea of what I'm doing in the marketplace, what I'm thinking. And I don't do it so that you can be a day trader or so that you can earn your living from trading stocks. I do it in the attempts for those of you that are in the middle class and you're trying to save up for your retirement and protect your nest egg, I've just gotten so tired over the years of hearing the, the media mantra and the financial industry mantra about buy and hold. And while that's fine for many people, for anybody that wants to just take a little bit of interest in their IRA or in their 401k program and they just want to pay attention and they want to maybe even do just a couple trades a year, I think they can do better for themselves than by simply buying and holding. And that doesn't mean they're going to be Warren Buffett. It doesn't mean they're going to outperform the market. But what it means is over time, if you can get out of the market before there's a major crisis or a major collapse, and they happen every couple years, I mean, just look in the last 15 years, how many pullbacks of 20% or more we've had. I know it's been kind of late in the last six years. We've only had one major pullback in 2011. But you look back over the last 15 years and you can see how common it is. And I look over the last 30 years of my personal investing history and there's plenty of times when the market collapses and it, and it telescopes it. You know that you're at the top of a cycle. You don't have to be Alan Greenspan or Ben Bernanke or Jenny Yellen to figure it out. In fact, those people never seem to figure it out or if they do, they obviously don't tell us. So I'm not trying to make you a trading wizard. I'm just trying to spread my philosophy of being a, an active or a swing trader. And that's not day trading. That can be carried out over long periods of time. But the most important part of it is it means getting out before a major catastrophe because it's a whole lot easier to build your wealth when you don't lose it. And so I get equally frustrated when I hear the media pumping up these fake stories and hyping things up and whether they do it just to get ratings so that they can sell more advertisement or whether they do it because they're liars or whether they do it because they're evil. It doesn't matter. The fact is that you can go back and see how they just constantly grind out these stories which are insignificant and although they do drive the markets just with short-term headlines, 
They don't do anything to help you really build your wealth. That's why I get frustrated with those of you that are constantly email me asking me about, you know, what, uh, what website do I get my information from or what book is it or, you know, what's that special trading algorithm I use? Well, if you've listened to more than, you know, five or six episodes of the Wellsteading podcast, you know that I don't think there's one secret place out there. There's not one algorithm. There's not one book you can read and there's not one trading method that works for everybody. I have an episode that I did last year. I think it was entitled The Best Trading System. And that best trading system is the one that works for you. Yeah, I'm going to digress a little bit here, but this goes to careers and, and things that people want to study in college. You know, younger people that are looking for the right career or what kind of job should they get or what kind of business should someone start. You can't give one answer that applies to everybody. You were put on this earth with certain God-given talents and abilities. And what's right for you is not right for your neighbor. And though that's not entirely true for trading and for building wealth, I mean, there are general principles of building wealth that apply to everybody. That's why I have the, uh, you know, my 10 wealth building principles. But how you apply them, which ones you put more emphasis on, and, you know, how successful you be, well, that's going to be based on you. I don't talk much about real estate investing. and In fact, I almost never talk about it. And you know why? Because I'm not a real estate investor. I'm not really interested in it. That doesn't mean you can't make a fortune in it. That doesn't mean you couldn't be happy in it. But it just means that so far with my years on this earth up to this point, I haven't been interested in real estate. Now, maybe that'll change next month. Maybe it'll change in three years. Maybe it'll never change. But just because I don't talk about real estate investing doesn't mean you can't make money at it. I don't talk about welding, but there are plenty of welders out there that make a good living. Those that abide by the 10 wealth building principles will be able to build wealth throughout their life. And those welders that are smart enough to create their own companies and um, start their small businesses, they'll do even better. But I don't talk about welders building wealth just because it's just not something on the top of my mind. So don't chase your tail around trying to find the one perfect thing that's going to work. It's not going to come to you in, in a, an email or a phone call. You're not going to see a billboard while you're driving or sitting in traffic on your way to work. You're not going to see a billboard that tells you the secret how to build wealth. You have to find it for yourself. Okay, so I'm going to try and get back on track here. So here's what frustrates. Well, you know what? Speaking of building wealth, these people in the media and all these economists and the politicians and all the people that have just have their panties in a wad, about whether the Federal Reserve will or won't raise interest rates. The vast majority of those people that I just mentioned from those categories, you know, probably better than 9 out of 10 of them, they're living paycheck to paycheck. Most of them will never have real wealth in their life. The few that will will be the uh, the very popular news anchors or obviously the very successful politicians. Those people will have wealth, but they didn't earn it from trading stocks. And despite all the credentials, and the great schools that they went to and the fact that they claim to be experts, you know what? In my opinion, those people couldn't run a lemonade stand. And I just get so frustrated when I see people that take their hard-earned income, you know, the money that they've saved for years, and they make some stupid investment based on something they heard on a, a cable news network or some gimmick they received in their email. It just frustrates me to no end. So all this hype, all this BS about will their interest rates go up or won't they? I guess what I was trying to say before about I'm not a professional broadcaster. I don't always specifically enumerate and communicate the fine details of everything I say. 
You know, I still get emails from some of you listeners telling me that I pronounced some words wrong. Well, trust me, I don't do it on purpose. If I could speak better, pronounce things in a better way, I would do it. And I do work on it, to, you know, to some extent, but I'm an old dog and it's a little bit hard to teach me new tricks. So as far as my communication skills, they're not always perfect. So sometimes you'll hear me talking about the Federal Reserve and their policies and where interest rates are headed and the importance of interest rates. And you can go back to my blog and see for the last, I don't know, two years at least, I've written about how this economy has been juiced along by phony baloney interest rate setting and things like that from the Federal Reserve. And and I stand behind all that. But what I want to point out here is, is that in the past when I've talked about interest rates and, and whether they're important or not and the Federal Reserve's influence of them, the big problem with the Federal Reserve's policy is not where they, quote, set interest rates or where their federal funds rate is or what their overnight lending rate is. That's all smoke and mirrors. What I've been railing about for the last five or six years and complaining about the, the quantitative easing program is exactly that. It wasn't the Fed came out and said, okay, we're just going to set this interest rate policy because the bottom line is markets do whatever they want. And I remember when I was a kid, President Nixon came out with price controls. And, you know, they, they had all these crazy things. You know, they, they said, uh, you know, you could only be paid so much for this particular job or, or this type of car could only cost so much or, you know, this, this cut of beef could, could only be priced at a certain amount. Well, the market ignored that. If you were selling a product that the government said you had to sell it for one price, well, you just invented a new product. You weren't selling widgets anymore at $15. You want to raise your price to 20 you just called your widget something new. It was a bidget or something. And you sold it for 20 bucks. So the government, the Federal Reserve, these bureaucracies, they can't really set the rates. The market does that. But what the Federal Reserve did on a, a really a historical and unprecedented scale was going back to the financial crisis, they started their quantitative easing programs, quantitative one, two, and three. And we may be headed for a quantitative four before next year's out. It's an election year. A lot of weird stuff's going to happen. So I'm not putting that out of the question, but that's been my issue and my complaint with the Federal Reserve in the, in the QE3 round of spending. They were pumping $85 billion of money that they created out of thin air into mortgages and, and into government debt. Now that truly affects interest rates. I'm going to go in and explain that whole thing right now, but just think of supply and demand. Whenever there's a lot of money out there that's willing to be put out for mortgages or whenever there's a lot of money that's out there to buy up government debt, government treasuries. Well, what happens in supply and demand when you have a fixed amount of supply, right? The government's only issuing so much debt. There's only so many people out there that are buying houses that need a mortgage. So you have a fixed supply of debt that's available. And when the Federal Reserve steps in with $85 billion every 30 days, that's a huge, almost unfathomable amount. When they come into the market like that, it's just like when money's interjected into any market. It creates inflation. It makes the price of whatever's being purchased go up. And so remember, when debt goes up, when the price of debt goes up, when people are willing to pay more for a 10-year treasury bill, that means the price of the bond or the bill goes up, but interest rates are inversely proportional. So that means the interest rates come down. Now, that is truly a way the Federal Reserve can have an impact on interest rates and, and then on the economy. But whether or not they decide to raise their Fed funds rate by 25 basis points, you know, that's 0.0025. That's insignificant. 
It's so insignificant that it drives me crazy that's, that that's all we hear people talking about. It's a smokescreen. It's a sleight of hand trick. Now, again, do they do this because they're evil, because they're stupid, because they're just trying to hype things up and get ratings? I don't know. And the same thing can be said for the people on Wall Street. Do they do it just for their ego so they can get their face on TV or so that they can promote their book or get a better job? I don't know. I don't know why they do it. But don't fall for the trick. It's insignificant. Remember months ago, beginning of this year, all we heard was Greece, Greece, Greece is going to default. Greece is going to come in the euro, out of the euro. I was telling you, whatever happens, it'll be short term. The problem is not Greece, right? Now, Greece has come and gone. It's still a problem. It's still out there. But again, whether Greece defaults or doesn't default or in or out of the euro, nothing matters now because over the last three or four years, the banks that own the most of that Greek debt, the banks that would have gone bankrupt had Greece defaulted in 2012. Yeah, that would have been an issue back then. But between 2012 and 2015, the crony capitalists in the global banking system found a way to unload most of that Greek debt risk onto taxpayers, you know, mostly people in the European Union. So now if Greek defaults, it's not that big of a deal. But that didn't stop the media and people on Wall Street from talking about it 24-7, almost from you know, January, February, all the way up until just a few weeks ago. Now, right now, people are talking about China, and they're finally talking about China. We talked about that for a long time. China could be a major problem. Now, we don't know exactly what's going to happen in China. We can't tell the future. We don't have a crystal ball. But we know there are problems in China. We know those problems have resulted in commodity prices being their lowest um, in anywhere from 6 to 12 years, depending on which particular asset class it is. That's where the problem is. It isn't whether or not the Federal Reserve is going to adjust interest rates by 0.0025. That's hogwash. Now, if the Federal Reserve comes in with quantitative easing four, yes, then that will definitely have an impact on interest rates, and it'll keep interest rates low. But right now, even though the quantitative easing program was stopped in like October of 2014, the reason interest rates are still low, still well below the market price, is because countries like Japan and the European Union, they stepped up their efforts. They doubled down on their quantitative easing, and money is fungible. Euros leave Europe. The yen leaves Japan. It finds its way into the United States, and it influences our interest rates. And so even though we backed off on our quantitative easing, these other nations either stepped theirs up or they started theirs. It's almost like it's you know an orchestrated effort among the world's central banks. Like a hot potato, they just pass it around. Okay, we can't do it anymore. It's your turn, Italy. All right, thanks, Italy. Pass it over to Taiwan. But the bottom line is Japan and the European Union, you combine the, the buying efforts, the purchasing power of the countries that make up the EU and Japan, and you can ignore the rest of the world. Just between Japan and the European Union, they have enough firepower to put our Fed's $85 billion a month and make it look insignificant. So that's what's going on. That's why interest rates are so low. And it isn't just the European Union and Japan. Just a few weeks or a month ago, we had China devaluating their currency by 2%. That was the official figure. That was basically a quantitative easing program all at one time. Just for rough numbers here, just assume that they have a $10 trillion economy. That means that instantaneously overnight, they just wiped $2 trillion out of their economy. That's the same thing as printing $2 trillion in, in phony money and running the printing presses. And it's not just China. 
It's all around. Everybody's adjusting their economies and their interest rates because of the global slowdown and this collapse in commodity prices. Australia's in recession. Japan's in recession. Canada's in recession. Mexico's in recession. The European Union is on the verge of recession. And what do you think is going to happen when you have the strongest economy in Europe is the Germans? They're growing at what, maybe 1.3%? And you have all of Central and Western Europe right now being flooded by refugees from Syria and other countries in Northern Africa and parts of the Middle East. What impact do you think that's going to have on the European welfare state? You think in the short term over the next 18 months, that that's going to help or hurt their economies. There are major problems in the world right now. And again, whether next week or next month or in three months, the Federal Reserve adjusts interest rates by 0.0025. It's insignificant. That does not matter. All the economists that they parade in front of us either don't know what they're talking about or they're purposely lying. Keep your eye on commodity debt defaults. I keep saying this, I keep repeating it, and I'm going to keep saying it. That's where the potential problem lies right now. If large companies that are in either the shale oil business or natural gas or own copper mines or coal mines, if these large companies that owe a lot of debt to banks, if they start going out of business and defaulting on their loans, that's going to be a problem. And if enough of those companies default, and if they're in specific geographic or regional areas, in places like Nigeria or Venezuela or Peru or Canada for that matter, then you'll not only have a disruption in the economic system, you'll have a full-fledged crisis because it won't be companies that are defaulting, it will be countries. I had a blog post earlier this week, I think it was yesterday, I talked about Brazil's debt. Standard & Poor's downgraded Brazil debt this week to junk status. Now, that doesn't mean that Brazil is going to default, but if they did, right, it wouldn't be the first time. And the point I want to make about Brazil is that they're one of the BRICS nations. You know, they were one of these emerging markets that we've been told for years we're going to do so well. They're going to overtake the U.S. They're going to be part of a new currency. The U.S. dollar is losing its status as a reserve currency. It's going to go to some conglomerate of countries, maybe the Russian ruble and the Chinese yuan and the Brazilian real. Hogwash. The BRIC nations are in trouble right now. The Indian economy is, is doing about the best of the BRIC nations right now, and that's only because they're not a major commodity exporter. So again, I'm stressing in this episode, don't believe the hype. If you're not familiar with my thoughts on propaganda, go back and listen to episode number eight. That's where I cover the eighth wealth building principle, decrypting propaganda. Think for yourself. Look at the numbers. Use your situational awareness. When they start telling you that whether the Federal Reserve does or doesn't raise their lending rate by 0 0.0025, then you take out a piece of scratch paper and a pencil and a calculator if you need it, and you start doing some math with that. And ask yourself if 0 0.0025, whether it goes up or down, whether that yield increase or decrease on the money that you spend, if that's going to make a difference. And chances are for 99.9% .9 of you, you would never miss 0 .0025 taken out of your money or added to your money. It's insignificant. So think through these things. Ignore the hype that you hear coming from the media. In fact, don't only ignore it, turn it off. Don't even watch it. It'll just drive you crazy. 
Focus on the things that matter in your life. Focus on the things that are within your sphere of influence. If you want to increase your wealth, then do it. Don't rely on a talking head on TV or a politician in Washington. Go out and improve your education. Get a better job skill. Get a second job. Get a better job. Get a raise. Work overtime. Figure out a way to create your own company. Move to a place that taxes less of your income. That's how you're going to build your wealth. I know I probably sound like I'm really frustrated, and, and I'm not. I'm, I'm just passionate. I'm passionate, and I get upset when I see so many people being led astray. So just learn to think. Don't believe the BS. Now, today's September 11th, and I close this podcast a, a little differently than I normally do. When I was a kid, I'd hear my grandparents talk about Pearl Harbor, and I knew it was important. I knew it was special to them. I knew it was a life-changing event for them, and it, it was represented in the emotional response that came when they talked about it or when they thought about it. I understood it, but I couldn't fully comprehend the pain that they felt and the emotions they had. Well, that was up until one morning when I was stuck in traffic in the outskirts of Atlanta, Georgia, and I was listening to the radio, and I heard the news announce about the first plane striking the World Trade Center. And then 15 or 20 minutes later, whatever it was, when that second plane hit, I knew it wasn't an accident, and I knew that my generation was going through their own Pearl Harbor. So I'm going to close out this podcast with a song from Merle Haggard. Now, this isn't a patriotic song, but listen to it and draw your own conclusions. For the Wellsteading Podcast, this is John Pagliano. God bless.